Another edition of Do Fools Agree. As always, I'm your host, Michael Reggie, here with nobody. Because my partner is probably asleep right now for who knows what. The lazy motherfucker. Somebody tell him. Somebody tell him I told. Tell, tell him what I said about him. Um, so, knowing that he wasn't on or that he hadn't hopped on yet, I'm going to talk for just a couple of minutes about shit I want to talk about. Uh, so, with that... Let's get into some of the geek culture stuff. Um, so, I have been watching Moon Knight, uh, the latest Marvel show uh, over there on Disney+. Plus. Honestly, I'm not familiar with the character at all. Uh, it's not anything I've ever come across in comic books before. It's not anything that's ever kind of caught my eye before. But, you know, gave it a shot. Um, one... Oscar Isaac's fantastic. I think he does a great job of kind of playing the multiple personalities that the uh, the main character goes through, whether that's, uh, I think it's like Stephen Grant or Mark something or the Egyptian god that they're basically serving as the avatar for. And, I mean, it's an interesting storyline. The, the first episode eh, kind of didn't really hook me. The second one got me to buy in a little bit more, and the third one... I'm going back and forth with it. I think that it's a, I think it's an intriguing story. I think it's a good story to be told. It's good to see another person of color kind of at the forefront in terms of the Disney franchises and, and really on the Marvel front. Um, but the story itself, it's, it's a little outlandish, a little absurd, which is where I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going at this point. I think that what you're going to see between the... Um, what, Multiverse of Madness and uh, what's the other one? Oh, and Thor, Love and Thunder. Like, they're going cosmic. They're going mythic. They're going the mystic arts, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm okay with it. I think that this is where the MCU starts to lose 
it's bigger audience. I would not be surprised to see that Moon Knight is the you know the the least watched of the Marvel shows. I think it's interesting because it's probably the most adult of the Marvel shows since they went to Disney Plus. Uh, it doesn't hold a candle to Daredevil or Punisher or Luke Cage, but it is it is a darker tone. It's certainly much more violent. Um, but honestly, at the end of the day, like it's about Egyptian gods and. I am not a fan of either Marvel or DC where they try to turn or tie more into classical mythos. Classical mythos. Obviously, you've got Thor. Thor's a little different because Norse mythology, I don't think is... Um, I don't think Norse mythology is tapped as much in the pop culture zeitgeist. I think you see more uh, of the Greek, the Roman, even the, um, even the Egyptian. Like You've seen Egyptian gods show up in things like uh, Stargate. You've seen, you know, the Roman and Greek gods show up in, at least in reference and in heavy um, influence in a lot of the uh, sword and sandal type movies. So I think it's interesting what they're trying to do, and they're trying to bring uh, the Egyptian gods kind of into the modern day the same way that you see with uh, maybe a little bit in Wonder Woman with them bringing in Ares and the Amazons and those kind of things. Personally, I never even watched Eternals on the Marvel side. I know that you know there's some there's some influence there as well, but it's not. None of those are really catching my eye. So um, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, like I said, Moon Knight's okay. I'm not super excited about it, but I'm still watching it. And it's it's the Disney Plus model, right? Like they have they've hooked me for the Star Wars shows and most of the Marvel shows. And so rather than give up my subscription for a month, I'll watch Moon Knight. I'll have something to watch on there. Uh, the other one that dropped on Disney Plus lately was that uh, I can't remember. It's like Red Panda or something. And it's interesting. It's a little adult for, or I guess it's I wouldn't say adult. I guess it's a little uh, teenish for something that's on Disney Plus, especially coming out of like Pixar. So I know my son wanted to watch it. He watched it, and it wasn't something that like he immediately understood kind of everything that was going on because obviously it's about the female body changing and things like that. And while I'm sure there's an audience for it out there, it's not your standard Pixar flick. So that's Red Panda. Really, the thing that I'm waiting for right now on Disney Plus is Obi-Wan. I think Obi-Wan is teeing up to be probably the best Star Wars show we're going to get. And I say that being a big fan of The Mandalorian, being yeah, kind of a cursory fan of Boba Fett. I've liked what they do with you know Bad Batch. I like what they did with the, the last season of The Clone Wars, etc., but the story of Obi-Wan, really, and his journey in the desert during uh, the, the time, basically, between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, I think that there was, I think there's a lot of, lot of opportunity for storytelling there. There is a podcast or a, uh, another entertainment network that I listen to called the, the, Schmoes, the Schmoes No, or actually, no, it's the Schmodown Entertainment Network now, a uh, big movie trivia podcast kind of space, and... The, the main host, Christian Harloff, talks a lot about, well, your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, when Obi-Wan gives Luke the lightsaber. Well, 
clearly Obi-Wan thought Anakin was dead. He didn't know that, that Anakin had survived and become Vader and all of that. Now, I think he probably has some... Um, he probably has an idea by the time we get to this series, but he went straight from kind of leaving Anakin to die to Tatooine for more, basically more or less to watch over Luke. And I think that there's a lot of untapped potential in terms of his time there. And really, how did he become the hermit in the desert? We know uh, Yoda at the end of Revenge of the Sith talks about the fact that training for you I have. And he teaches them, or and he's, he wants him to communicate with Qui-Gon. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get... You know, Liam Neeson is being Liam Neeson and saying, no, I'm not involved. I've never, didn't even know it was happening. Probably a 60% chance that Liam Neeson ends up popping up in this Obi-Wan series. I think the other cool thing with the Obi-Wan series is they're bringing back Hayden Christensen. And so the actor that played Anakin, who's actually not a bad actor, he was just directed poorly by George Lucas and company in the prequel series, um, I think he gets a chance to kind of revive the character. And what I've always said about Anakin and why it upset me was that I wanted to see Anakin played by Hayden Christensen the same way that Adam Driver played Kylo Ren. So meaning the intensity in that emotion, like, they, they rushed through it so much in Revenge of the Sith. Like, the movie starts off and he's already cutting off people's heads. We had seen, you know, inklings of that with the Sand People and him, him kind of losing control when his mother died. But for whatever reason, Anakin's turn in the prequel trilogy doesn't feel earned. It was more like, oh, no, we need to move the plot along so he's going to start just getting angry for no reason. When... A lot of the materials that kind of existed in the the legends of Star Wars really talked about how his fall to the, the dark side was much more kind of insidious, meaning it was that fear of loss. It was that fear of losing Padme. It was that fear of not being in control that really pushes him towards the dark side. And I think with the prequels and the way that he was directed in those, you lost a lot of that nuance with that character. And yeah, we all knew that Anakin had to turn into and become the big baddie and, um, you know, become Darth Vader and all of that. But it almost feels like it wasn't earned. Now, what they did do a great job of is in the Clone Wars, the cartoon, they do a much better job of kind of bringing, you know, Anakin's journey along and understanding who he is and kind of fleshing out you know, he and Padme's relationship, he, his, his relationship with Ahsoka and introducing Ahsoka, his overall just slow turn. And it feels more earned if you watch the Clone Wars than it does if all you do is watch the movies. And I think when you start including some of the canon material that exists, like comic books, novels, that kind of thing, between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, like Lords of the Sith. Lords of the Sith is a great book that basically kind of details a Vader mission where him and the Emperor are a little bit at each other's throats, meaning Vader's starting to see that like the Emperor's manipulating him. And he starts coming up with the, the thoughts of, well, you know, when it comes to Master and Apprentice, the, the rule of two, 
the master's job is to teach the apprentice as much as he's willing to teach him. And the apprentice's job is to eventually become powerful enough to kill the master and become the new master. And you start to see that dynamic in Lords of the Sith. But again, it doesn't feel earned if all you watch is the movies. So I think what the Obi-Wan series can do is, is really tie together much the way Mandalorian and really even Boba Fett did tie together all of the canon. And I think that that's where Star Wars has shown that they've got a lot of opportunity when it comes to whether it's the cartoons or the live action shows is really to tie the universe all together because there is there's a fair amount of disparity between things that happen during the prequels, things that happen during the original trilogy, and then the sequel trilogy. Why? While I don't hate it as much as others do. There's a lot of room for fleshing out really how we got to that point and how Kylo got to that point and how Luke got to that point by kind of looking at maybe cartoons or a live action show that takes place between Return of the Jedi. I mean, I mean that's kind of where the Mandalorian sits. The Mandalorian sits between Return of the Jedi and uh, The Force Awakens. So I think that there's... There's opportunity there, and I think there's more opportunity to flesh that out. I do think that they're going to stay away from it other than Mandalorian and Ahsoka for a little while just because I think the the sequels trilogy, while not like as hated as the prequels were when they first came out, I just think that it doesn't feel as tightly knit to Star Wars as, you know, the other things do. And, you know, that's probably due to the fact that George Lucas wasn't involved the storytelling isn't as good. And to be frank, like the, the sequel trilogy doesn't feel like a trilogy. It doesn't go from one movie into the next. There wasn't a here's where we're starting and here's where we're ending kind of flow. Like them bringing back Palpatine, that could have been earned. They could have done more about that in The Last Jedi, but it's clear Ryan Johnson, great guy, great director. The Last Jedi is a well-directed film. It doesn't feel Star Wars. And it didn't give fans that it didn't give the fan service that I think fans deserved when it came to Luke Skywalker. And I've talked about this, I think on an episode probably a year ago, but I've preached this a couple of times around. I have a way to fix Luke Skywalker in the last Jedi. And it is a role-playing game based on the legends of Luke Skywalker book that allows you to basically play as Luke Skywalker in a in a role playing game scenario and play him however you want to play him from the minute of return of the jedi ending where he's buried or he's cremated vader and he sees sees his father sees all of that all the way up until the scene with kylo where he where kylo turns on him at the jedi temple or at the jedi school and what you would allow fans to do at that point is you could level him up. He could have, you know, all the badass powers you ever wanted him to have. He could turn a little dark. He could, like, you could play it true to the light, all of that. And then at the end, what it ends with is the scene between Kylo and Luke where Luke confronts Kylo about him turning or confronts Ben, uh, Ben Solo, about turning. And then the game ends. And then you can interpret The Last Jedi and everything that happens with Luke, everything that happens with Kylo in that, however the hell you want. They've already kind of done it by showing you that scene from three different angles. And if you let them do that 
if you let fans kind of fill in the gaps between Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi however they want to, it really kind of fleshes out the story. And it makes the sequel trilogy not as, like, shocking or not as disappointing because you can come up with your own story for how to get there. So that's one passion point on that topic that, you know, I think I've talked about it on the show once or twice before, but I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of good things. And I think circling back to Obi-Wan, the fact that they're bringing in the inquisitors and the, the Jedi and the hunting for Jedi. And I think we're going to see Obi-Wan kind of go off planet, get off of Tatooine and, and maybe, um, you know, again, there's another line that, that Harloff talks about that's, um, so in addition to the, your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough. There's another line in A New Hope where Obi-Wan says he's more machine than man now about Vader. And and I can't remember if that. It may be in Empire Strikes Back. But either way, we've got to see how does Obi-Wan find out that Darth Vader is still alive? How does Obi-Wan find out that Anakin is Darth Vader? And I think that there's a lot of fun opportunity there with a show like this. And I think it'll give fans the fan service they want, especially because you brought back Ewan McGregor. Like, he was probably the most loved character of the prequels. And I'm really excited about the fact that they're giving Hayden Christensen another shot to come in and play Anakin and kind of redeem that character as well. Because I do think that the if you see the relationship kind of behind-the-scenes footage between Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, like, they really love doing that stuff. And I think everybody kind of felt like it just wasn't directed well. Like the story's there. The, 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 the mythos of Star Wars is there. But the actual like directing and dialogue is awful in the prequels. I mean, even, you know, everybody makes the jokes about, I hate sand when Anakin's talking to Padme and that kind of stuff. And really, if that could have been punched up a little bit from a writing standpoint the prequels would be just as revered as the original trilogy. And I firmly believe that. Um, yeah. So I think there's just a lot of opportunity there when it comes to uh, the Obi-Wan series. The last thing that I'll hit on, and we'll keep this a, a short, you know, 20, 30 minute episode. This will, this kind of be a refresh of, uh, I think for, a, for three or four episodes, I did one fool's opinion where I talk, you know, geek culture shit. And, um, kind of doing a recast of that, but I talked about it a little bit last week, Picard. Picard, I think, is... I think the last episode or two has been a little disappointing, but I think I see where they're going. I think on top of that, they are very much teasing that season three of Picard, which it's a little weird that they're teasing season three of Picard when season two of Picard's not done yet. But they're teasing season three... And bringing back, I think, all of the Next Generation cast. So they're bringing back LeVar, LeVar Burton as Jordy. They're bringing back Michael Dorn as Worf. Uh, Riker's going to be there. Troy's going to be there. The one that surprised me that I wasn't sure we were going to see was uh, Gates McFadden. So Dr. Crusher making a comeback. You like She has not done anything Star Trek-related pretty much since she left and since she kind of moved on, but... It's exciting to be able to get the whole Next Generation cast back together, and it seems like that's going to be Picard Season 3. Where they're at right now, and I haven't seen this week's episode yet, 
when it comes to Picard, but it, it's kind of lulled off the last week or two, I felt, because they got away from kind of the main story and they did this little bit of, like, deep dive into, you know, Picard's past and his childhood and and really his internal psyche that kind of, I mean, frankly, kind of took away from where they were going with the story. So I felt like there was... Um, I felt like there was opportunity there, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're going to come to a conclusion here with the, the Borg and the Q and, and some of this time travel that they're doing. And honestly, it just, it's just fun. Like it's the most classic Star Trek. And when I, when I think about classic Star Trek, I'm not talking the original series. I didn't grow up on the original series. Yes. I, I watched the original series movies with Kirk and Spock. Spock is my homeboy. I got a shirt that says it. Um, it's funny because I'm running a, a the the code name of the project at work right now is Project Vulcan. So I sign all of my project communication with Live Long and Prosper. But it's the most Star Trek feeling show since Voyager. And really, when I when I identify with like being a Star Trek fan, it is the Next Generation, it's Deep Space Nine, and it's Voyager. I remember staying up late to watch the Voyager premiere with my dad. And then he passed, I think, a year or two later, because I can't remember if it started in 95 or 96. But, like, my fondest memories with my dad are sitting there watching Star Trek with him. It's part of the reason why I'm still a big fan. The other thing that I'm excited about is there is a new Star Trek video game coming out that is by the, um, the folks that... So it's not by Telltale Games, but it's by a bunch of people who came over from Telltale Games, and I think it's I think it's under the Epic Games studio, but I can't remember for sure. Um, but they are doing something that is in the uh, I forget what they call it the Prime timeline instead of the Kelvin timeline. So real nerd moment here: the Prime timeline is the original Star Trek: Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. The Kelvin timeline is the timeline that takes place with um, basically Chris Pine's Captain Kirk and uh, Zachary Quinto's Spock. So the movies that came out in 2009 and beyond. And so the fact that they're going back to the kind of original uh, timeline, and they've done that with Picard as well. So Picard is also in the prime timeline. I honestly don't know where Discovery is because the way Discovery works, for those that have seen Discovery, the first season takes place early in the Federation era, but they time jump, I think, in season two or three, like a thousand years into the future or something ridiculous. And so it doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like classic Star Trek in the sense that a lot of the the world that you know just no longer exists because they've done this massive time jump and, and they've gone forward in time and the Federation's been basically destroyed and season the most recent season of Discovery was all about like them rebuilding uh, the Federation and protecting the new Federation. That was really the last, I think, the last two seasons, so season three and season four. Season one of Discovery was a little eh, um, it, and I think what I had heard behind the scenes there was that they had a writer's room for like the first six episodes and then they established a new showrunner by like episode seven. So 
the way that that series aired, like one, two, and like the last eight episodes were all really a cohesive story versus some of the stuff in the middle just wasn't wasn't as clean. And then from season two onward, you know, Star Trek has always been serialized, but it's been more episodic. And them taking the more serial view when it came to Discovery and what they've done with Picard, I think it was necessary. I think it's something that the, the series needed. But what I do like is that Discovery and Picard both at least kind of bring you back to that, what I would call the classic Trek vibe. And then what they do is they push out from a cinematic perspective, from a storytelling perspective. The world feels like Star Trek, where I didn't really feel like the 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 movies with Chris Pine felt like Star Trek to me. Like they felt more action adventure, they felt more Star Wars. Season two, three, and four of Discovery, plus most of Picard, feels more science fiction. And I do think that there's a big difference between, you know, action adventure in a future setting versus science fiction. And where Star Trek plays the strongest, and what Gene Roddenberry's vision was, was science fiction. It was how do we use technology to achieve kind of utopian state for human life. And then once human life is kind of all hunky-dory and like holding hands and all of that, how do they, how do they go into the galaxy and, and, and kind of expand from there? So that was really the, the, the nerdy topics that I wanted to hit. And I figured I would hop on, even though uh, even though my boy is probably asleep somewhere. Cliff, if you sleep, get your rest, man. Hope you uh, <laughs> hope you don't wake up, you know, ten minutes from now and be like, "Oh man, I should have hopped on." Uh, but with all of that, I am going to go ahead and sign off. And I appreciate you all turn, tuning in tonight. Uh, you know, hopefully next week my uh, my boy uh, doesn't doesn't stand me up, but it's all good. Um, do me a favor, like, share, subscribe, and extra favor, if you want to hear more content like this, and to be clear, Cliff doesn't mind talking about this stuff once in a while, and he's cool when I bring it up on the shows and that kind of stuff. We all know that's usually when he takes his piss break, but if you want to hear more content like this and you'd like to see me do more content like this and want to have a little bit more of that that geek or nerd culture type show do me a favor leave me a comment leave uh leave leave something on the the facebook page leave something in the youtube comments just let me know and i will see what i can do or even better leave the comment on uh our itunes feed because that can help us um kind of build the ranks there we're we're, we're doing all right in the uh, actual podcast apps whether that's apple podcast spotify those kind of things but really what helps us out the most is a, is a rate, a comment, in those types of things. And then, you know, in, in the social media sphere, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, do us a favor, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. And with all of that, I'm going to peace out early. Peace out, fools. <laughs>